The reading today is from Jonah, chapter 1, verses 11 to 17, and it's from the New International Version. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What shall we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Jonah replied, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done all as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. said let's pray for Jonah but uh, <laughs> let's pray for Ivan father uh, thank you for Ivan thank you for his uh, his ministry amongst us in all sorts of ways and in the town as well and Lord we pray that you'd bless him as he brings your word to us in Jesus name Amen. good morning everybody and a special hello if you're listening to me via the internet If you didn't hear last week's talk by my good friend Ursula, I recommend that you access the church website and listen to what she said. She made a very helpful contribution to our series about the prophet Jonah. And if you did hear it, listen to it for a second time, because I did. And I'm not going to repeat what she said, although there will inevitably be some overlap there. You might be interested to know that there were on Google 50,200,000 entries for Jonah. Uh, No, I didn't read them all. Jonah, about whom we know very little, is considered one of the minor prophets. Don't be misled by the word minor. Uh, When we talk about uh, football, when we talk about minor league football, we're thinking of small clubs. We're thinking of some of the players are part-timers. The standard isn't all that high. When we talk about minor prophets, we're not minimizing their importance. We mean quite simply that their prophecy is fairly short. Obadiah, for example, who's one of the prophets, has only one chapter, and you could read it in about two minutes. But that doesn't mean the content is less important. The book of Jonah is quite jerky. It's a bit like watching a film on TV 
when you've missed the first 10 minutes, which sets the scene for the subsequent events. You're struggling to find your bearings, to find out what's going on. There's no introduction, there's lots of action. And then it only lasts for four chapters. It's a bit like a roller coaster ride. If you've ever been on a roller coaster, you know that when you start the ride, everything seems to happen at once. And it's only when you get off at the bottom of the ride that you replay the movie in your mind and you work out what it is that you've just experienced. Before we embark on this roller coaster ride, can I make one observation? Jonah sounds somewhat over the top, possibly a trifle wacky. In the portion we read, he's swallowed by a big fish, which sounds to me very odd, to say the least. In, fact, in point of fact, the Bible makes no mention of a whale. In the New Testament, Jesus refers to the events in the book of Jonah. And so if our Lord accepts it as true, I don't see why we can't. Why couldn't God do something out of the ordinary? In any case, that's not the most incredible event in the Bible, is it? For me, the big one is the creation of the world. If you can believe that God created everything that is out of absolutely nothing, surely sending a massive fish to swallow Jonah is no problem at all for him. Sometimes we, with our finite minds, act as though God is far smaller than he is. You may know the story of the children lining up for the lunch at the church school. As they passed by the fruit and dessert section, there was a sign written by a well-meaning member of staff. This is what it said. Only one apple each. Remember, God is watching you. Next to the apples was a container filled with chocolate. Some child had scrawled a message next to the chocolate saying, help yourself to as much as you like. God is watching the apples. <laughs> we laugh and we make fun of the children, but aren't we guilty of making the same mistake? We describe God by using all the usual jargon, don't we? He's almighty, all-knowing, omni-this, omni-that, and so on. And then it's almost as if we put him in a box because we've understood him. It's true that he does possess all those attributes, but surely he's greater than any description that we can devise. Back in the 1950s, the writer and Bible scholar J.B. Phillips wrote a book entitled, Your God is Too Small, to highlight our failure to appreciate how great God is. Let's get back to Jonah. To me, he seems quite a cheeky chappy. God tells him to go to Nineveh, that is due east, so he chooses to go in the opposite direction. He scurries off due west to Tarshish, which they think was probably in the south of Spain. 
The main point is that he ran away from God, and as it says in the message translation of the Bible, he went as far away from God as he could get. And he admitted that to the sailors in the ship. As we heard from Ursula last week, when the sailors thought the ship was going to sink, they turned to prayer. Isn't it interesting to note that even today, people who would not consider themselves as having faith in God will pray when the chips are down. Recent research in this country found that only one in seven people insist that they would never resort to prayer in the face of problems in their lives, those of their friends or the wider world. And perhaps what's even more significant is that teenagers and people in their early 20s are more likely to resort to prayer than their parents' generation. I find that quite an encouraging statistic. And we tried to tap into this trend last year with the Try Praying campaign, which you will know about, when we encouraged folk to try praying for a week to give them a chance to open up to God. Anyway, Jonah was thrown into the sea and the storm subsided. And then a great fish was sent by God to swallow up Jonah. As I said earlier, this does sound rather over the top. And it's sad that we tend to have turned the whole Jonah narrative into a children's story, a sort of Mickey Mouse cartoon, which we don't need to take all that seriously. So where's all this leading, I hear you cry. If you like sermons with three points... Here are my three. Firstly, if Jonah counts as one of the Old Testament prophets, and indeed he does, what a shocking example he is. We read about God giving him a mission. And the next thing we hear is that Jonah tries to run away from God. He wants to do his own thing, even though he knows full well that he shouldn't. Confession time. One thing I enjoy in common with many men, dare I say most men, I don't know, is one thing I love is fooling around. Um, if I see a lady, especially an old lady, smoking in the street, I sometimes stop her and say, you naughty girl, didn't your mummy tell you smoking is bad for you? Replies vary from, yes, she's told me many times, <laughs> to, I know I shouldn't smoke, but I do enjoy it. And some say they know about the health risks, but they can't give up. I've never had my face slapped. <laughs> Jonah was a bit like that, though. He knew that trying to run away from God was wrong, but he kept on doing it. Interesting, isn't it? Even though he goes off the rails, God still works through him. Of course, I'm not suggesting that we're like Jonah. But then in some respects, perhaps we are. The point is that if God can work through a man like Jonah, who is a bit of a tearaway, he can work through us, no matter how low we've sunk. And I find that very encouraging. Secondly, notice that when Jonah said he was a God-fearing man, 
it made an impression on his hearers. And we see that the sailors prayed to God. I don't know why. Possibly as a sort of insurance policy or possibly because they noticed something special about Jonah. We don't know. What we do know was that what, go, what Jonah said definitely had a positive impact on the pagan sailors. I wonder, what would we have done had we been in Jonah's shoes? And in fact, do we nowadays make the most of the opportunities we have to share our faith with those we know who have no awareness of God? Or do we decide not to bother? Thirdly, isn't it good to see that even when Jonah got it wrong, God did not reject him? He gave him a second chance. You can trace this theme right through the Bible, where many of the so-called greats got it wrong big time, but then they got it wonderfully right. Consider the lives of Abraham, Moses, David, Paul, Peter, to name a few. We tend to think of them as wonderful people. In actual fact, they were flawed individuals who were given a second chance by God. In fact, Paul is a wonderful example because he was a real thorn in the flesh of the early church. And he went about persecuting as many Christians as he could until he had that Damascus Road experience of the Lord. And that changed everything. What a fantastic transformation God made in the life of someone who'd wreaked so much havoc in the early church. What an encouragement too to us so that even if we do go astray, even if we've lost our way and we don't feel close to God at all, he will always give us a second chance. He doesn't write us off. Just recently, we heard the media reports about uh, Tim Farron, the now former leader of the Liberal Democrats. Judging from what he, what he said, it seems that he was going against what he knew to be right and what he felt was God's will in his life. Then he reached the point where he felt he had to choose and he chose to honour God rather than further his political career. So now in political terms, he is a yesterday's man. God bless Tim Farron. He was treated abominably, picked on unfairly by the media and treated as an idiot. He was a case of someone persecuted for righteousness sake but in God's eyes Tim got it right big time initially he got it horribly wrong and then he got it wonderfully right do pray for Tim Farron pray for all Christians in the world of politics whichever party they belong to as they try to live out their Christian faith in an increasingly hostile environment Can I bring this closer to home? Do we have any habits we know are wrong 
and which get in the way of our relationship with God. The problem is that sometimes they're so deeply ingrained that we're unaware and we'd find it hard to shake them off. Perhaps we don't want to. And yet we know in our hearts, in our heart of hearts, that God does not approve. I'm not thinking of anything in particular, and I'm not aiming these comments at anyone in particular. But if that's true of you, you know, and God knows. Do we make the most of the opportunities we have to share our faith with others? Our faith may be very fragile. And we may not be very good with words. Well, that's okay. Do it anyway. Jonah made a terrible hash of it. And in spite of that, what he said made a difference and had an unexpected effect on the pagan sailors. Actually, he showed himself to be very vulnerable. He admitted He had got things wrong. I don't know about you, but I find it much easier to relate to someone who admits their failures and their weak points. And that situation resonates with me in a way that fine Shakespearean prose does not. So if that's your situation, be encouraged. God can use you, even if you have a tendency to mess up. And if you're not very good with words, God can use you in a special way as you stumble along. And you'll often be more effective than those who have the gift of the gap. Lastly, when we have gone off the rails, even if we've gone off the rails big time, God has not written us off as he still has a plan for us. What do you think is God's plan for you? Is it sometimes, it's sometimes helpful to discuss this with Christian friends, as what may not be evident to you can be blindingly obvious to them. It's time for us to have a spiritual MOT and give up anything in our life which is unhelpful and which we know to be displeasing to God. It's time to make the most of opportunities we have to share our faith with others, at the doctors, in the pub, in the supermarket, on the tennis court, at the bus stop, whenever, wherever. It's time to discern what part God would have us play in building his kingdom. Just think, the past is gone, and you can't change that. The future isn't here yet. Now is the time. What are you waiting for? So, go for it. You'll see that I've prepared a sheet of points to ponder, which you should have been given as you came in. And if you don't have a copy, please ask me afterwards. Amen.